Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. Have you ever felt like marketing is getting all the praise for some great campaign or all the leads being generated, but you as a field sales rep, you're just not seeing the benefits? Well, my guest today, Sean Doyle, brings 30 years of experience helping marketing and sales better align. He shares some really good insights into the behavioral journey of a buyer and one tip that I'm going to leverage about pulling marketing into your business. Enjoy the show. All right, Sean, welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. Incredible to be here. What an honor. Thank you. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you are out of Pennsylvania and I was doing a little bit of research on your background and I saw that you like to fly fish. You know, we chatted briefly, but you didn't answer the question. What What do you fish for in Pennsylvania? Trout. Is there anything else? I think there's not. Uh, yeah. Pennsylvania is the the heritage of trout fishing, uh, probably for our country, limestone streams. I was born just over the hill uh, from State College and central Pennsylvania has an amazing amount of, of trout. And then my uh, grandfather moved to Colorado in the early 20s, I guess it would have been. And he taught me to fish in Colorado. And uh, I still I spend a lot of time now in Western North Carolina. And occasionally I get up to the top left corner of our country and get on some of y'all's water. It's a trout. It just that's if there's a freedom that I could hit someday, it would be getting to take other people trout fishing and helping them catch their first trout. There's nothing more fun than helping somebody else do that. It's a great joy. Let's just skip over all the sales discussion, go straight to the freedom discussion. I love it. <laughs> Let's go. I did uh, sort of off topic a little bit, but I did lead a, a Boy Scout troop for many years. And one of my favorite merit badges to uh, to instruct on was always fishing. And, you know, take Excellent. some kids that have never caught a fish before was pretty oh. funny. And by the way, you know, it's to, for, to earn the merit badge, um, there's a fly fishing one and a non-fly fishing one. The non-fly fishing one, you actually have to gut it, clean it. And <laughs> if a kid's never caught one and then they have to clean it, oh, you would not believe it. Just traumatizing for some of these boys. <laughs> it's pretty tough on the fish too. <laughs> totally. Yeah. So I do prefer the fly fishing piece much. More. I am an Eagle Scout for the record. So I would have been one of the weird uh, kids in your Boy Scout troop that would have backpacked in with his fly rod and gear. So I love it. I love it. Hey, it was always cool to catch your dinner, right? Yeah. When you were in Colorado, I fly fished there one time and we were on this really small stream and there was some golden trout and I'd never seen this, like a very light colored golden trout. Yeah. There's a, actually California is known for the, the true pure golden uh, trout, but in South in Colorado in the San Juans, there's a golden trout as well. And I think there's probably some connection between the two just on other sides of the mountains. Right. Uh, yeah. But I've yeah. never caught one. And there's such interesting regional anomalies you know in, in north carolina if you catch a brook trout 
you are you treasure it it's like a it's a gem it's a jewel it's a beautiful fish and if you catch them in colorado you're instructed to throw them on the bank <laughs> get rid of them get rid of as many as you can because they take over the water there so yeah so funny how regional differences uh flavor life it is true well that is a big part of what we're here to talk about today is you know we all work hard at in sales with ultimately the the ultimate goal to try to create some freedom, whether it's time financially or whatever. So let's let's jump into it. So looking at your background, you've worked closely with marketing teams and sales teams to better align, you know, those two different organizations versus you know, mostly what I've seen in my career is while everybody has good intentions, sales is kind of going in one direction. Um, maybe marketing is going into an, in another direction. And Sometimes those don't align and actually creates a little bit of conflict when it comes to, you know, what both groups are trying to achieve. I'm just curious, you know, in your business, you know, how do you, how are you helping in that area? Oh, what an incredible question. So I, I had a conversation uh, earlier this week with a man named Alan House. He's a regional sales director for a large technology company uh, that sells into the banking and financial services industry. And he and I talked about the, the LinkedIn, mostly recent LinkedIn data. There's a trillion dollars of deals that are left on the closing table every year in America. A trillion. That's a lot of money. I would, you would hit your numbers, right? If you could close a oh, portion yeah. of that trillion. And you know, so we started talking about why. And I've thought a lot about this. And I think it's interesting that marketing has a lot to contribute at the closing table, but sales stiff arms marketing typically and why, right? Because most marketers don't have a real understanding of how to support sales. What's the best way to understand how to support sales? It actually, a lot of people talk about sales and marketing alignment. How do you get sales and marketing together? I think that's wrong. I think the idea should be sales understands, perhaps intuitively, perhaps scientifically, what a buyer needs. Marketers need to better understand what the buyer needs. It's fine if you understand what sales needs, but if you both understand what a buyer needs, at my office, Fitzmartin, we call it centricity. If you can be buyer-centric, that creates sales and marketing alignment, and that enables a marketer to come to the closing table. It allows you to want a marketer at the table to help you close deals. And there's, there's some specific things that marketing can do that are very different. The most common mistake I see is, well, broadly speaking, the most common mistake I see in any, as I evaluate, we spend a lot of time in the emerging middle market, emerging and middle market space. And I see typically way too much marketing spend occurring too early in the sales cycle. Like you can, Let's say everybody in the world knew about your product. Who cares? That doesn't get you to the close. I'd much rather have a very specific target account focus. Let's only have buyers understand, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So that, I think that's the biggest mistake. The second biggest mistake I see is marketing abandons, sales stiff arms. And I encourage marketers to do what it takes to learn, to understand what the buyer needs at the closing table and equip sales. If you can do that as a marketer, sales will learn to trust, but there's too much risk for sales, right? So if you've got the option to bring me in to help you close a deal or- You as a marketer, you're taking the role as a No, I'm saying you, you specifically. You're at the, you're, you got a big deal getting ready to close next month. 
the last thing you want to do is put any risk in between you and helping your buyer in between you and a commission check. Yeah, don't rock the boat, man. That's don't good. rock the boat. So why would I invite marketing in, which historically has proven not to be helpful? Well, because we do the wrong things at the wrong time. Most marketers create more awareness, for example. Well, we don't need more awareness at this point. <laughs> we don't, that's not what behavioral science teaches us. And that's what we study is we study behavioral science. We apply it to sales and marketing. What behavioral science teaches us is at the closing table, people are going to look back at the old way because no change, status quo is our enemy. We've all been taught that if you're a salesperson. Yep. Marketing, how are you equipping the sales team to get the buyer to the closing table and look back and go, I don't want that behavior instead of, most of us are afraid to look back. I only want you as a salesperson, I want you to look forward because that's what I'm paid to sell. <laughs> The future state. If I can get you to change your behavior to buy my thing, I'm paid to, for you to do that. So any idea of looking back scares me as a science. But I mean, science teaches that that's important. Like if I'm, let's just make it super simple. If I'm at the state of, I need to lose 30 pounds and get in shape and be stronger. And if I get up to go into the gym, that change is terrifying. But if I'm at the door of the gym, and you make me look in a mirror, maybe even without my shirt on, you go, oh, yeah, I don't want to do that anymore. I got to go forward. I'm going to go through that door no matter how much fear I have of change. Interesting. That's a super simple application, but that's one of the techniques is how do you help people look back? So marketers have to learn this stuff to be able to equip sales to close better. So if I'm a, if I'm a field sales rep, right, and I want my marketing team to be more engaged in that process. I mean, there's a lot of things that probably have to happen at the corporate level to put some of that structure and change in place. But let's say maybe um, you have a little bit of influence. Maybe it's a smaller company, maybe a startup, software company, whatever it might be. How do you, I guess it would be on sales to take a little bit of role to educate the marketer on the buyer's needs. And then, you know, what are some of the things that that marketer can be doing to create that vision of, you know, that in the rearview mirror is not pretty and you want to move forward? Yeah, that's fair. It's a good question. I think I'd answer it a couple ways. One, I don't, Chris, you're a much younger man than me, but I think I realize I'm not going to get to help everybody in America at this point. Maybe. Maybe not, probably not. So I'm giving a lot of my thinking away. So you can come to fitzmartin.com slash free help and download. And there's some articles there. There's a couple of videos. They're free. Enjoy them. Apply them yourself. Don't hire me. It's fine. Um, but there's some ideas there of how to, to do that. A couple of them that come to mind to directly answer your question. One is do a voice of the customer program. So I don't really think sales has to take the role. I, I don't want, I never want sales to do anything other than sell. Right. So as soon as I got sales doing things that take them off the task of being facing a buyer, now I'm, I'm spending my money in the wrong way. So I, I want sales to do one thing. I want sales to invite the marketer to come with them. I want sales to try to communicate to marketing while they're riding while marketing is taking a ride with you, I, I do this with my clients. Again, we serve B2B, emerging and middle market companies, and I'll, I'll take a ride with a salesperson and do that field 
And I'm always blown away with how courageous and strong and cool sales is. And I learn so much stuff that, that the agency thinks about, stuff that the marketing team thinks about. When you get in the field, it, the context changes and everything is different. I don't know. It's like, it's like the difference between a scrimmage and the Super Bowl. It's just you got to be there to understand how dynamics work. Because the marketers, we can equip uh, sales with what we think is brilliant. But if the, if the buyer doesn't care, who that it doesn't matter. It's just a waste of time. Yeah. And you lose credibility with sales because they're experiencing, you know, yeah, I took a risk. I played that video and my prospect said, great, get out of here. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's a stupid example, but no, you get but my point. Yeah, yeah. So ride. I mean, just sales does so much that's intuitive and they have so much training because of the type of human being, the wiring they have. And marketers can learn from that if they'll be really good observations. I mean, uh, empathic design is a word for it, or empathic research, uh, observational research. Uh, but yeah, take a ride, do a voice of the customer program. Voice of the customer programs, uh, Chris, I've seen this happen time and time again. Whatever we buy or sell, let's say I've got an incredible piece of technology. I spend every day thinking about that piece of technology and how it solves a problem and how to improve that piece of technology. I rarely take the time to go out and talk to the buyers if I'm an executive team, let's say just corporately. Well, and, and when I come in as an outsider to advise and consult, the immediate response is, oh, I know my customers. We've been doing this for 30 years. Well, okay. So I make them off this offer. If you'll do some research and let a third party come in and talk to your customers, talk to your lost prospects, which I think is a, a really revealing thing, and talk to some of your lost customers too. Talk to those three groups of people, prospects, customers, lost customers, and let a third party come in and interview them and say, look, I tell, you can tell me anything. I'm going to give you anonymity. Man, I will always offer to my clients, I'll pay for the research if you don't learn anything. You have to tell me on the spot that you have to say, I didn't learn a single thing through that conversation. I've never had, I've been doing this 30 years. I've never had somebody say, we didn't learn anything by having a third party study. That again, it's, if you just think about it, that's why we love the word centricity. If you'll be centered, centricity on the buyer's needs, the buyer's problems and flip. But in that Allen House interview, I started the conversation with, um, they had, it was a brilliant observation he made. He said they had a, they have 144, 143 technology solutions that serve into the, into the fintech world. Well, that's great. But you can imagine as a salesperson, you're going to learn 143 sales sheets, playbooks, understand yeah, right. competitors to each other. I mean, that's just impossible. They pivoted. They have a really wise SVP of sales and marketing and they pivoted. Now they go to market with nine problems they solve. So let's talk about the buyer's problem. There's nine, generally speaking, there's nine problems we solve. I don't really care yet about the 143 technologies. You can figure that out later. But when you have a, a focus internally, you love your 100 and some 40 technologies. You want to talk about each of them, but the buyer doesn't care about how you solve the problem. They want to know, do you recognize my problem? Can you solve it? That's yeah. how they're going to make a decision. I hope that's practical. It is. And, and so for the listeners, right? The one thing that I picked up from that, you know, going back to the marketing piece, I've worked with many, many 
regional marketing folks, uh, field marketing folks. And as I said before, they're doing their job, they're working hard, but oftentimes they're sitting in a conference room, they're on a Zoom call and they're all strategizing, but they don't have that voice of the customer. And think about it. If you're a rep and you take your field marketing person, maybe it's even a corporate person, invite them on some calls, maybe it's a virtual call, that does so many good things for you. One, they're going to be coming back with content that's more applicable to what you really need in the field because they're hearing it. They Now they have better context. But number two, by the way, you're just kind of raising your career stock at the same time, right? When they're sitting in their meetings and they're talking about the field, they're talking about John Smith, who's involving them in their business. And they're going to be pulling you in for advice and pulling you in for questions. And it's just mm. such a great way to interconnect yourself yeah. more within your own company. So I thought it's a great point. I'm going to try this out on you. So I want you to be the CEO and I'm going to be the, the agency since that's what I am. All right. Now I could come to you two different ways and you, you tell me which you're interested in. Okay. Chris, I'd like to introduce you to Fitz Martin. We sell marketing automation technology, CRM systems, content management systems, we can do the SEO, we can build websites and even do targeted account list focused ads. Yeah. Are you interested? I have a team for that. <laughs> I don't even know what you just said, Doyle. <laughs> right. What if I came in and asked you the question, does your company see your marketing department or your agency as overhead or do you see them as a strategic advantage? Yeah, probably uh, overhead. I think. That's a better lead for me, right? Yeah. Because I didn't. Now, how do I solve? How do I pivot a marketing department or an agency into being a strategic advantage? I do. I apply centricity. I do voice at the customer. We're going to use tools like marketing automation technology, CRM systems, content management systems, target account, focused ads. We're going to do things like that. But if when I lead with what we sell or in, in Alan's story, when I lead with 143 solutions, I don't care. When I lead with, I could probably fix your problem with your marketing department and ad agency being overhead, but we need to talk about that more before I commit to that. But you know what? Well, but that's what we do. Yeah. It's just a different approach. It's a buyer-centered approach because you're not sitting around, Chris, thinking about CRM systems. You may not even know what a CRM system is, right? So it's just changes. You got to flip that conversation. Yeah. And that's, you know, for, for us that are in technology sales, it's it's easy for us to get sucked into the bits and the bytes. And you have maybe a sales engineer along and they start going into the bits and the bytes. But how do you take those bits and the bytes? And they're still important. There's probably some differentiation there, but turn those into the top five, six, seven problems that they could solve. And maybe that problem is slightly different in banking than it is in healthcare than it is in in public sector in trying to kind of put yourself in the shoes of the customer in that vertical and translate your your stuff into their need. 100%. Brilliant. Sean, you talked a, a minute ago about kind of the behavioral or the behavior Behavioral Thanks. science. Yeah. Behavioral science. Yeah. So how is that changing or influencing how we sell today, maybe then how it was done in the past? Oh, well, it's interesting. I, I think the, the book in 2002, uh, I was a marathon runner and I got to the point where I couldn't walk up the stairs of my house. I ran a marathon in Nashville and literally just laid down on the street at about mile 22. Oh, no. I did finish. It was a, not a good time. If you lay down in the middle of a race, it does not That's help. That's not good. Run. Um, 
and I discovered that I have a chronic illness and I've done very well. I'm still here. That was 2002. That's a lot of years ago. That is good. But during that journey, I really came to question everything. You know, I, I questioned the way I thought about life and what do I, what, what are the foundations upon which I stand? Um, and it was an interesting journey because I was given this book called Changing for Good. Changing for Good is written by three scientists who are studying the way behavior changes in human beings. Uh, they studied specifically like the cessation of smoking and other behaviors, like how did people go from point A to point B? And what they discovered was there's different paths, and this is where sales is so brilliant. Sales recognizes every buyer has slight nuances, need different things. Marketers are typically standing back and, you know, we're addressing 10,000 people in a target. You're addressing a one-on-one -on -one need, or maybe there's eight decision makers in the B2B space and influencers, and you, you nuance all of that. It's all in your head. And honestly, for you to document all of it, for somebody to utilize, it's just not realistic. So what, what the book, what the science did, it's brilliantly called the Transtheoretical Theorem of Behavioral Change. What, that's why we call it centricity. It's yeah. a lot more interesting. But what that shares is that all of us go through different steps. It sounds a lot like a buyer's journey, but you can boil the whole thing down to nine best practices of how to help people move from one step to the other. And the aha moment for me as I was reading this book was things that work, we'll just say simply, early sales cycle do not work middle of the funnel. And most of those things do not work at the closing table. So that was the aha moment for me. So if you can understand, and that's where that fitsmartin.com slash free help, the framework's there. Just download it. Look at it. The book, Changing for Good. It'll, my friend Jeff Bezos will have it to you tomorrow, probably. So I'm not commissioned on this either. So it's an incredible application and uh, of science to sales, because that's what we do as sales people, as marketers, we change behavior. and. The, the other interesting thing to it is, as I'm going through this period of life where I'm questioning, like, we've been successful as an agency, but how can I be repeatable and sustainable and measurable? You know, I also was thinking, like, what's the foundation of, of my life? What am I built on? And I'm a reader of scriptures. And the ancient scriptures, interestingly, uh, in the Pentateuch, there's a book called Exodus. And in Exodus, there's this story. We all know the story. It's the burning bush and Moses, right? Most people have heard of Moses and the burning bush. Well, if you watch the way through the reading of chapters three through seven in Exodus, you see Moses go through these exact steps. So foundationally, you know, I was, I was reassured that what I'm learning and what I teach at work is true to, and I, you know, 3,000, 4,000 year old writings. Yeah. So it was really a, it's an incredible uh, application of science. I think we all have some form of pipeline awareness. We understand their steps, the big gap. And what I'd love to see revolutionize the way marketers help salespeople is understanding, do different things. There's different needs and there's very specific, and it's not that complicated. There's only nine different ways human beings, nine different things human beings need. Yeah. You know, and I think, uh, you said it earlier, salespeople inherently sometimes just start to pick up on that stuff as you do it. You know, you're professional, right? So you start to get those cues and you figure out uh, how to um, adapt mm -hmm. to that. But I, I've always been a big fan of a process. I don't necessarily want to be forced to do a process, 
Right. I like knowing that there's a structure because in a way it accelerates things. If I know that, okay, I'm kind of picking up that we're going into stage four, stage five, stage six. In my head, I've rinse and repeat. I've done this uh, hundreds and hundreds of times. I can just go faster. Here's a super practical tip for a marketing uh, team. And Chris, I know you do this. I've never asked you this question. Uh, and I know you do this naturally as a salesperson. You meet a contact at XYZ company and you know that you're a good fit, that what you can help them. You know there's a good need fit relationship. And that person is a decision maker even. Or yeah, they're a decision maker. We're just going to make them a decision maker. So they're a decision maker. And you press for, you've been taught to press. You got to, maybe it's the middle of the month. Maybe it's one week before the end of the month. You've been, hey, let's set a meeting with you and maybe two or three other people that are typically involved in this decision. And they say, hold on, hold on. Has that ever happened to you? Sure. Of course it happens. It happens yeah. all the time. Marketers, that's a natural thing. And there's a, a relationship, it's called private, then public commitment. And that's one of the nine techniques. So if we know that people are, will make a private commitment to explore an idea, to see if it fits before they make a public commitment, then we can equip sales. What are tools that we can give Chris? So when he's meeting with the decision maker, that decision maker can get comfortable before they risk taking Chris to three or four other people on the executive team. Cause I don't, I mean, Chris is selling something and, you know, I don't want to look like an idiot in front of the CFO, right? The CFO is going to ask hard questions. So marketers, have you equipped sales to handle that private commitment? Do you even think about that? There should be a set of tools that Chris has. It might be a calculator that they could do a, a diagnostic. You might have some designed, simple diagnostics. There's a hundred things you could do that Chris could do one-on-one -on -one with the decision maker or the person, their contact. And then once they're comfortable, you can have an agreement to bring in the rest of the team. So that even models the exchange relationship before you ask for the purchase order. Right. Hey, I'll, I'll, let's go through this diagnostic process. I'll get you a calculator. Bah, 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 bah. There's safety. You know, we're not going to risk. If you agree it's a great fit, then let's have the decision makers in. Let's just put that off. And then me as a buyer, I go, okay, I got some room. You're yeah. not going to embarrass me. And it's a private then public commitment. That's a technique. That's a technique of behavioral change. And marketers, you've got to equip people, you've got to equip them. I'll put that book in the show notes. I'll, I'll, I'm going to add it to my own personal reading list, which is growing, by the way. Thank you for sharing Continually. that. Yeah. If you quit learning, Chris, it's over. Come on. Yeah. Well, you're either going forward or you're going backwards. Amen. So um, as we get close to wrapping it up here, one of the things, Sean, that uh, I'm interested in is, so you've been running your own business for 30 years, and mm. I'm sure you've had ups and downs, Gone, you've gone through different steps <laughs> of scale. You know, what's kind of the maybe one lesson learned in building your own business. Because you know, as a salespeople, we often run our own franchise, right? We are kind of the tip of the spear for our team to, to make things happen. And so I think there's some things to learn from entrepreneurs like yourself that um, are running a business. Is there one thing that stands out that- I'll give you three. I don't know. One's too hard to do. I know. Well, I'll, I'll take three. Okay, three. three fast ones. One, I'm incredibly conservative uh, with finances. I've got enough runway cash-wise that I can say no to opportunity. And if you can say no to opportunity, typically you get better opportunities. So have enough runway. Don't get on a skinny cash position. You know, that's another fancy way of saying uh, what have 
more opportunity than capacity. That's right. an old business principle, right? You know, the second one is just like people first, right? I mean, there's some things we could have achieved today, but one of my team members has a family crisis. So forget it. Well, work's going to be here Monday, right? Just take care. People first. That rewards you in the long run. Be generous. You know, we talk about at our office all the time, we talk about be generous. And that might be somebody who forgot to get something done on an engagement we're working on. Uh, or forgot to ask us for something. And so we just do it for them. We don't send a change order every time, you know, just like, be generous. And that's going to, that's going to pay you back long-term. And, you know, I, I believe, and this was that lesson I learned in, in O2, and I am an entrepreneur. You said that. I hate processes. I hate structures. But guess what I learned in 2002? There, there are patterns to life and you can intelligently apply them to your business and be more successful because of it. Absolutely. Well, on the people front, I did do a little bit of research on you. And one of the things that I noticed around your business is you'll have these posts. Sometimes it'll highlight some of your team members, which I thought it's on your company page within LinkedIn, which I thought was really neat. It's just some personal background about them and putting them in the spotlight. So just, you know, I love that. It's just classic. They're great. Well, the people are great. I mean, that's one of my purposes on life is in life is to take care of them and to help them be successful. And I love it. That's a great yeah. part of my my world. That's freedom. Yes. Yeah. So I guess as we wrap up, so you mentioned freedom. What does freedom look like to you? Mm. Well, I think it probably comes back to capacity. It's, it's a lesson I'm learning. Um, you know, freedom would be the capacity to have time to think time to invest in other people, time to take somebody, go catch their first fish. You know, I think that kind of commitment is something I've got to freedom. It's a future state for me. Yeah, Future state's going to be enough time management, enough organization, enough saying no. If you can teach me how to say no, Chris, a lot of people in my life would love it. And, um, you know, that, that would be freedom. You know, that is the challenge of a high performer is right. They're always willing to take on just a little bit more until you can't take on any more. And, you know, and then, you, then you start dropping things. But uh, yeah, exactly. Well, well Sean, uh, really enjoyed our conversation today. Nice to meet you. If a listener would like to reach out to you, what's the best way to connect up? I answer my own email, which maybe that's something I need to say no to. I don't know. <laughs> it's uh, Sean at Fitzmartin, S-E-A-N at F-I-T-Z-M-A-R-T-I-N dot com. But if you need to make a private commitment first, before you make a public commitment of sending me an email, then go to uh, fitzmartin.com free help, you know, poke around, watch, watch a couple of videos. And I, I really have, I'm not a believer of uh, put things behind paywalls so that you can't get to the juicy stuff. I mean, try it. I mean, our principles are codified, they're mapped out and they're available to you. I'll never be able to help everybody in the country. So we're giving it, you know, it's there. People do hire us occasionally to help them apply things. And that's nice. And we can talk about that. We love helping executives of uh, those emerging middle market businesses, typically B2B, that, that are hitting those revenue plateaus, that are hitting the barriers, and they can't quite untangle them. And we use this behavioral science as a tool to do an analysis and identify where the barriers are. And then we hand that to you. You can self-implement or we can help you whatever's appropriate. So I would love, would love to help more people. Well, thank you. I'll check it out personally. So again, Sean, thank you. And I uh, look forward to catching up again. It was so good to be here. This is a great, I've enjoyed you. Well, thank you. 
Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating, and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever. Music